everyone, and welcome back to the Football for Good podcast. My name is Thomas Durning, and today I am joined by my co-host, Pierce McLaughlin. Hello, Pierce. Hello, how you doing? I'm doing well. On today's podcast, we'll bring you all the latest international news, including Scotland qualifying for Euro 2024, reacting to Rangers' latest managerial appointment, and Pierce will be given a rundown of all the latest Asian football news. So coming up next, we'll be discussing Scotland's qualification to Euro 2024. So on Sunday, the 15th of October, Spain defeated Norway 1-0, which meant that Spain and also Scotland both qualified for next year's tournament in Germany. It is uh, an unbelievable achievement for Scotland, as this is the first time they have automatically qualified for a major tournament since 1997. So, Pierce, what is your reaction to Scotland qualifying for Euro 2024? An absolute phenomenal achievement. Um, and just another notch in the belt for um, Steve Clark Scotland. Uh, I think he's done a tremendous job since he took over. Um, in the beginning, it wasn't so rosy. There was even calls for getting him for the sack, but he managed to turn it around and He's now qualified Scotland for back-to-back Euros, which is an unbelievable achievement, considering before then we hadn't qualified for a major tournament since the World Cup in France in 1998. Um, yeah, and obviously the fact is we've got 15 points, 11 points of Spain, um, an unbelievable achievement. Uh, and I'm just looking forward to Germany next, uh, next summer because I think uh, Scotland can go there and actually compete. And I think they'll, they'll show a better showing than they did uh, in Euro 2020. Yeah. Um, first of all, it is a, um, it's a brilliant achievement. It really is. Um, to qualify for a major tournament with two games to spare is it's brilliant. It really is. Um, it's, it's This group stage qualifying is it's just gone so well. Um, you know, five wins from five, um, you know, that gives you... Um, and a brilliant advantage to get to to get to the major tournament. Um, you know, it'd have been nice for Scotland to do it themselves, but um, you know, the end of the day they are they are at the Euros. Um, you know, it's it, it's really it's it's really a brilliant achievement. Back to back Euros, as you said, and you were just touching on Steve Clark there. The biggest compliment I can give Steve Clark is I think he's made Scotland a feared nation now. I think any team that will when they know they're going to play Scotland, I think they're going to they're going to know they're in for a tough game, and you couldn't have said that over the last 20, 20 years or so. You know Scotland were a bit of a pushover for a long time, but that's not anymore. That's a really really good team, um. So an absolutely brilliant achievement, and it is well deserved. Um, I just want to touch on briefly, Piers, about the the Spain the Spain versus Scotland match last week. Which finished two 0 to Spain. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. with Spain winning that match, it meant Scotland could qualify on that day. Um, so what was your reaction to that result? Uh, um, it's kind of a, a sickening defeat in the end because obviously Scotland thought they took the lead through Scott McTominay's wonderful free kick. Um, but it was rightly or wrongly it was ruled out for offside in the end through VAR um, and also there was a lot of confusion with that decision 
But I think he was offside, Jack Hendry. Um, but I don't think he really interferes the play. But uh, things Spain ultimately we all know they're going to keep a lot of the possession of the ball, and that's what they managed to do. And they managed to score two late goals. But I think the sickening blow for Scotland was losing um their captain Andy Robertson for injury, and obviously. Couple weeks, I think it was the last two weeks ago. Um, Keelan Tierney pulled out an injury for Real Sociedad, so that's two year back five. Um, out against probably arguably one of the strongest opponents in, in the group. And obviously, since that 2 0 defeat at Hamden for Spain, uh, they've been blowing teams away. So, and obviously, Scotland's defense has been rock solid, but with two key components out, um, it's going to be a tough task, and obviously. Away in Spain in the heat, um, it was always going to be a tough task, and I thought Spain, in the end, probably deserved a victory. Um, but obviously Scotland didn't put on the best performance, but yet again, the fifteen points beforehand, um, was enough to get the job done, and uh, the just qualifying was the, was the most important part. Um, regardless of the result or the performance, it's just about getting the qualification done. And then just building on that and um, preparing for next next summer. Yeah, um, obviously the match doesn't really matter anymore because Scotland have qualified now. But just touching briefly on it, um, I actually thought it was quite a good performance from Scotland in terms of a defensive approach. I felt defensively they played really well. You know, um, kind of really did well, kind of shut Spain out, and they got the first goal of the game through Scott McTominay's free kick, which we all thought was a a brilliant goal, and it got ruled out for VAR. But um, I, I, I'm still a bit, uh, you know, I still don't understand why it got ruled out. I thought it was a perfectly, reasonably good goal. Um, but it got ruled out by VAR, and um, you know, I, I think if Scotland did go one 0 up in that game, I actually do think they would have picked something up in the game because they were defending so well. Um, but after Scotland's uh, VAR goal got disallowed. Spain kind of got the first goal in the game and, you know, you, you were just touching on it, Spain probably did deserve to win. They did create the most chances in the game. They, they did dominate the game. Um, but, you know, it was quite harsh on Scotland because I thought Scott McTominay's free kick was a was a reasonably, uh, you know, legal goal. But VR didn't think so. And, uh, yeah, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter anymore because Scotland are at the Euros. So um, we don't really need to worry about that much anymore. Um, I just, I just want to ask you, Pierce. What's your, what do you think the it's it's Scotland's biggest strength in this qualifying group stage? What's the biggest strength? I would say probably yeah, but, yeah. the unity amongst the squad, um, because and obviously the system as well. Everyone just kind of knows their their place in the squad, and when someone drops out for injury and someone comes in, it's just seamlessly. It's like a transition that just seamlessly happens. They just know their role and they know their what their job is in, in the specific position. And and when we've been playing against sides, it's been pretty competitive in terms of we defend as a unit, but we also attack as a unit. We've got a five at the back, but um but when we attack it's like six forwards basically almost. Um and obviously flying flying wing backs and uh, Aaron Hickey, Andy Robertson, and even the underlap with um Kieran Tierney on the left hand side is centre back as well. So not in and out of possession. What hard working, low energy, high intensity pressing, and um and obviously that goes to show with obviously Scott McTominay. 
Um, been phenomenal in terms of goal scoring ability, and that's for because Scotland don't have, like you say, like Harry Kane, a number nine that would just guarantee you goals every game. Scotland have got a system and a team that work hard and they work for each other, and there's goals all over the park, and that's what Scotland need. Because the fact is, when you've not got a a world class number nine, you need to spread the goals about the team, and that's what they've done. And like you say, like Scotland, you you mentioned it. Um, that Scotland were kind of like a pushover in recent times before Steve Clark. Well, Hamden now a fortress. Um, I don't know when the last time Scotland could beat Hamden, but um, they've been picking up pretty much <laughs> uh, one after one, and um, and obviously beating the giants of Spain at Hamden is obviously a, a massive scalp, and that will send shortwaves to the rest of the world in terms of when they come to Hamden, it won't be an easy tie like previous years. And um, that's the that's the biggest compliment I can give Steve Clark, um, because his Scotland side has now been um, now they're setting Euros, and um, the future's very bright for Scotland. Yeah, um, I agree with you. I think their biggest strength is um, their unity. You know, I think what the biggest thing that's been impressive with Steve Clark is that every camp that he's picked, he's basically picked the same players. Um, every camp and the fact that all these players are continuously coming to the camp and wanting to play for Scotland is such a big thing as well because that wasn't the case say 10 years ago you know there was lots of players dropping out because uh, they had like a little injury and they really wanted to concentrate on their club career um, but that's not the case you know all these players that are regularly getting picked for Scotland are wanting to play um, and that means that they're picking up more international caps which means that they're getting more experience. Um, and, you know, the more they play together, the better they become. And that unity has meant that their mental strength has got better. Um, you know, the fact that they go 1-0 down against Norway, away from home, everybody thinks that they're going to lose that game. And then they score two late goals right in the last, in the last minutes of the game to win the game. It's just It just kind of shows the, the mental strength that, that they've got. Um but it's definitely unity for me, uh, their biggest strength. Um, and yeah, I'm and as I said earlier on, they are, they are a team to fe- they are a team to fear. I think any team um, that plays Scotland, though, they're going to be in for a tough match nowadays. So yeah, brilliant. Uh, just lastly about Scotland, Piers, what, what do you think their next steps are? So what do you want to see now that they've qualified for the major tournament? Well, I think the next step for Scotland has to be trying to make out the group in terms of the Euros in Germany and then further down the line is qualify for a World Cup. I think that would be the, ch- the cherry on top of the cake. I think that would just be, that would just steal Steve Clark as one of the Scotland's greatest ever managers if you could manage that. Um, because I think the fact is back-to-back Euros is a massive achievement, but the first step, step by step, he's got a process, He's got a, he's got a plan, that he wants to implement Scotland to be a successful force and the higher up the pot, Scotland have got an easier chance of qualifying for all these major tournaments. And um, and obviously, like you said, the group's very, very unified and obviously with being back-to-back Euros, it's, it's trying to get make out the group. Depends on the group stage draw because we're obviously, Scotland are um, notoriously getting really tough groups. Um and obviously it's going to be hard to um to perform and obviously the heat in Germany in the summer, but 
we'll do we'll do we'll do our best as Scots because uh, we don't tan very well. <laughs> but uh, hopefully, absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully that 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 can uh, we can we can combat that by putting on some factor seventy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we'll need. I think we'll need a whole a whole bottle of it. Aye. So um, that, that's the plan, and then obviously I think, like you say, qualifying for the world, the next World Cup, that'd be a, that'd be an, an unbelievable achievement, and uh, just build the statue now for Steve Clark. <laughs> yeah. No. Absolutely. No. I'm. Um. Just before they go into the Euros, uh, I hope that Scotland set up a lot of good, uh, friendly matches against like good good sides because. Now that they've qualified, there's there's not going to be any real competitive matches anymore, um, for a good year now. So you know you don't want to go into Euros, you know, and you've not really played that many good matches because you want to really be well prepared going into that. So I hope Scotland play some good good friendlies, uh, before the Euros, and then in the Euros, as you said, um, I'd love to see them getting out of that group stage because that's never happened before at a major tournament at all in Scotland's history. So. That would be fantastic, and they're well capable of doing it. I think, obviously, depending on who they get in the group stage, you know, I think they're really, really capable of doing that. Um, so yeah, that that's kind of the future, and as you said, even in the longer future, getting to that World Cup would be would be amazing. So no, it's really good times at the moment, and uh, really, really good times. Um, so we also found out last week that Scotland. Well, no, sorry, uh, just before we talk about that, um, we also found out that. Um, alongside Scotland and Spain, five other teams have qualified for Euro twenty twenty four, and they include Belgium, France, Portugal, Turkey, and Austria. So, Pierce, which nation from this list has impressed you the most during the qualifying stage? Uh, it's got to be Portugal, I think. Um, I think they've won eight. Uh, I think this they've won maximum points so far. Um and they've only conceded two goals. Similar to Scotland, they're very good going forward and pretty pretty solid at the back as well. And obviously um Ronaldo's still scoring goals for Portugal, which is an unbelievable achievement. Um I think he's played two hundred and one appearances now for Portugal, which is a record. Um so phenomenal achievement for him and four goals the last two games as well for a thirty eight Cristiano Ronaldo. And there doesn't really seem to be a the next, the next in line to replace Ronaldo, so I think it's going to be he's going to be probably starting at the Euros next summer, which will be a sixth consecutive Euros for Cristiano Ronaldo, which will be a record, and um, something I'm, ve- I'm very much looking forward to, um, because I think he's the, the the he's like the golden generation and Messi of our childhood. Once they retire, it will be a very sad time, and um, I think obviously it'll be very exciting to see that. And I think Portugal have been pretty strong because they've got so much attacking talent across the front line. Could you look at their bench as well the other night? Um, they had Bernardo Silva on it. They had um, Diego Jota. <laughs> the list goes on. Like so much talent. It's it's pretty much like Man City in club football. There's there's so much talent, and you're going to upset some players that don't play. Um, so I think the other ones are the standout ones for me. Yeah, I think the Portugal for me as well. Um. I think since Roberto Martinez has come in as Portugal manager, I think he's he's done really well. Um, I think the biggest thing if you take over as the Portugal manager is if you keep Ronaldo happy. And I think Ronaldo's speaking the other day about Roberto Martinez and telling him and saying how good a manager he is. So 
the fact that Ronaldo's saying that, it means that your job's going to get a little bit easier. Um, but no, Portugal, um, they won last nil, uh, sorry, they won last night 5 0, and they went 5 0 up at half time uh, away to Bosnia. Um, so uh, the fact that they went 5 0 up at half time is, is really impressive. Um, and yeah, they, they just seem to be going really well at the moment. Um, and as you said, I think everybody knows about their attacking players, it's it's just amazing, you know, it's it's one of the most amazing, best squads in the world. Um, and as you said, Ronaldo's been really, really good in this qualifying group stage. Um, and it most will look likely, most likely will be starting at the Euros next summer. So let's hope he doesn't get an injury because this will more like most likely maybe be his last Euros before he retires. So, um, but also saying that I wouldn't be surprised if it isn't. So, yeah, no, Portugal, they've been my um they've been my standouts so far. Um so I just wanted to briefly touch on the fact that England could also qualify for Euro twenty twenty four. Uh, that's actually tonight at the time of recording this. And they're playing Italy at Wembley. And if they beat Italy, then they're going to the Euros. So Pierce, how do you think this match will play out? Um I just don't think Italy is as strong as they were back in Euro twenty twenty. Um, a lot of the team that was in that played that, especially the back line, the Keelini Brunucci. So the Keelini uh, playing in MLS and Brunucci's now playing in um Germany, and obviously both think they've both retired from international duty. Um, and obviously they've not got Chiro Mobley. I think so. I think the strike will be Skamaka. And you look at the front line; it's just it's it's pretty woeful to be honest. Um. Italy are going through a transition period where they're not really promoting or developing that many top class players as they used to because they're a massive nation and they've obviously seen the winners of the World Cup Euros in the past but I, I do fear for um, Italy in this game. I think England will win this one at a canter um, because they fortunately played their B, B side the other night um, where they defeated Destroyer the 1-0. Um and I think also the the eighteen that come in like like your Harry Kane, your Rashford, um Saka etc. Grealish and all that. Um, I think I think there'll be too much for them, and um I don't because obviously Italy you see Italy with the fighting top before the <laughs> before the training session we will die for each other stuff like that. Um, but I think that that will be in vain. I think England, um, will have just a bit too much for them. Yeah. Um. I agree. I think England, especially the fact that England are at home as well, I think they will have too much for Italy. Um, as you said, Italy are going through a transitional period. Um, you know, they've got a new manager in Luciano Spalletti, who's um who won the Serie A last season. Um, but he has actually started quite well as Italy manager. Um, you know, uh, there's not really a lot of depth of Italian players coming through at the moment. Um, they are kind of struggling to build a really, really good a good squad. Um and also as well, uh, we found out that Sandro Tonali, Zaniolo and Fagioli, um, they all got sent home um because um of illegal betting charges. So that's another thing that they've got to deal with. Um and the fact that they're going to lose Zaniolo and Tonali to be able to play against England is that's going to really um kinda of hamper their chances as well. Um so yeah uh, overall, I do think England will win uh, that match. Um, I think that I think England probably would comfortably win that match, and I think they will qualify for the Euros um, tonight. 
Um, so we will now move on to uh, Rangers' managerial appointment. So on Sunday, the 15th of October, Rangers announced that they had appointed Philippe Clement as their new manager. So the Belgium arrives at Ibrox having signed a three-and-a-half-year contract. And upon joining the club, he said, I am honoured to have been appointed as a new manager of Rangers Football Club. And I'd like to thank the board for giving me this opportunity. So, Pierce, what's your reaction to Rangers appointing Philippe Clement? Yeah, I think uh, Rangers have done a, a decent job. Um, I think they had to get someone appointed uh, during the international break um, because I don't think they could have Stephen Davis as in caretaker charge much longer because they've got pretty important matches domestically and in Europe. Um, and obviously they need to try and pick up as many points as possible and be as flawless as they can to 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 catch Celtic at the top of the league. Um, they're seven points behind at the moment, and that can't stretch any further, especially if you're a manager of Rangers. Um, you have to win matches every week, and that's the demand. Um, and obviously, you mentioned it last week in the podcast. Um, Philip Clement's got a decent pedigree, having managed uh, Monaco and a couple of sides in Belgium. Uh, Belgium. Um, and I think he was a standout candidate, in my opinion. Because also I thought Kevin Musk would have been the ideal candidate in terms of someone that's been there, done that. But his Japanese season still going on. Um, he had a cut semi-final the other night, um, which they narrowly lost. Um, and they still got five league games. So I think Rangers couldn't wait to December to appoint him. And I think the fact that Philippe Clermont was available and was willing to become the new Rangers manager made him the standout candidate. And um, it'll be exciting to see what kind of style he implements on the team and what kind of players he'll leave in or what players he'll, 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 he'll figure out on the training pitch, which ones will suit his system. Because I think a lot of the Rangers players under Michael Beale were confused of what he has to do at times. And obviously, if he gets his message across this week um, and the build-up to the to, the, to his first match, then uh, you should hopefully hit the ground running for them. Yep, yeah, um, I think it is a really good appointment. Um, I think I said last week that I think he is the manager that Rangers should go for. Um, I said that because of his pedigree, you know, um, he managed Club Bruges in Genk in Belgium and uh, at Club Bruges, he won three titles in a row. Um, and we all know that Rangers are, you have to win. And you have to win trophies as well. Um, and the fact that he's got that experience of winning trophies, um, you know, he knows how to kind of get that job done. Um, and at Monaco Dell as well, he did a kind of a decent job there. Um, you know, and he, he did really well. He did a, he did, he did a decent job. Um, you know, it was, it was between Clement and Muscat. Um, but I think we all kind of knew that Muscat wanted to wait until the season finished at Yokohama and. Rangers don't can't afford that that weight, you know, they kinda have to get someone in in this international break due to the the way the team is at the moment, you know, the confidence isn't high and they are a number of points behind Celtic at the moment. Um and they've also got a semi final of a cup coming up. So they had to get someone in uh, in this international break. And it's Philippe Clement and it's a really interesting appointment, as you said as well. I'm kinda excited to see how he comes into Rangers and how 
he kind of settles into Scottish football because we all know it's it's a different kind of league, you know. Um, it's not your kind of usual leagues. It's you know it's um, it's between two sides. So it'll be interesting to see how he deals with that kind of Glasgow environment. Um, and yeah, I think it's really really interesting. Um, so what do you think are his immediate priorities? Um, just trying to get his message across to the team. Um, in terms of what kind of formation he wants to play, what role he wants the players to be in terms of like the fullbacks. Does he want them bombing on? Does he want them inverted? Um, does he want them sitting back, or does he want his wingers to come inside? Does he want them to just keep the width? Uh, and obviously, like you said, he's got a number of players in different positions. Of like the squad has got a lot of quality across the board, but it's just try. Find that right solution, um, and get that message across as quickly as possible. Because, like you say, at Celtic and Rangers, you don't get a lot of time, and the fact is, there's seven points behind Celtic already this early in the season, and he's at a cup semi final to look forward to in, in the not too distant future. So he's got a chance of winning silver, um, before before January, um. So that's the incentive to try get everyone on board um, and build that confidence and um, just win football matches. But no, for me, the most important thing is just trying to get find the right formation and style of play and get the players buying into that as quickly as possible. Yeah, um, you're, you're totally right. Um, buying, and buying into his um, ideas is, is obviously one of his immediate priorities, but um, I think it's... Um, I think what one of his immediate priorities is kind of getting the fans back on side, um, you know, because I think the fans have kind of drifted away from that Rangers team recently. You know, it's, you know, I Brooks atmosphere hasn't been great, um. So I think for Clement, I think that one of his big priorities is, you know, try and get the fans and the players connected again, um, you know, and because if that if that happens, you know, I Brooks we all know is it's a really hard place to go to. Um, and if they get that connection back with the fans, um, you know, teams are going to come to Ibrox and they're going to find it really hard, especially in Europa League. Um, so that connection, you as you said, his ideas, which obviously he will want to do. Um, and I think as well, he need, I think Rangers have to settle on a, a settled team, a settled start of living. I think when Michael Beale was in charge, um, the, the team switched around too much. You know, I, I know injuries have kind of ham, hampered that, but um, I think they, they, they have to have a, con, a continuous start of living um, because that will that will build consistency, consistency as well. So there's a lot of stuff to do for him. Um, and yeah, we'll see how he gets on and we'll talk about it more in the future podcasts. Um, so for the final part of the show, Pierce will now give his Asian football roundup. Yeah, so we've had uh, obviously the conclusion at the international break for um, both Japan and South Korea. Um, so they played on Friday the 13th of October. Um, so Japan beat um, Canada by four goals to one. And uh, South Korea beat Tunisia by four goals to nil. And then both of them played tonight um, just before this podcast started. So the both results are um, Japan 2, um, Tunisia 0. And South Korea six, Vietnam nil, and then um, I'll have that podcast, uh, the match report on the South Korea six, Vietnam nil, 
Um, in the next couple of hours, so that will be available tonight, and obviously going more in depth about the, uh, that match. And um, that's been a fantastic um, week for both Japan and South Korea. Um, Japan have, um, before tonight's match, they, they'd won the last five matches by at least four goals um, prior to this evening's results where they defeated. So this is the running results for Japan. Japan 4, Canada 1. Japan 4, Turkey 2. Germany 1, Japan 4. Japan 4, Peru 1. And Japan 6, El Salvador 0. For me, um, Japan are a phenomenal side and some, a bit similar to Portugal and England. They've got a lot of attacking talent across that front line because um, they, they chop and change it um, and the players just come in seamlessly because, like, like you say, Celtic striker Kyogo Furuhashi and Aizameda, they're like, like the B team, to be honest. Uh, they, when they come in, they score goals because they've got players like Karamatoma, um, Richard Doan, Junior Ito, uh, Ayase Ueda at, um, and Nakamura to name a few. Um, Kaito Nakamura that is. Um, yeah, so in terms of other uh, Asian football news, uh, so the stage is set for the Japanese League Cup final where uh, Avis Bifakoka, um will face Urare Diamonds in the Japan National Stadium on sa- Saturday the 4th of November and the kickoff will be uh, 1 5, p- 5 past 1 um, Japan Southern time, yeah. So the semi final. So the result of that final is because the two um semi final um two semi final matches were played on Sunday, uh, the fifteenth October, where Nagoya Grampus um lost at home to Avispa Fukuoka one nil, and uh, Urare Diamonds defeated um we touched on it earlier uh, Yokama F Marinos two nil um to reach the final. So that's going to be a thrilling encounter that um. The chance for first piece of silver in terms of uh, the uh, the Japanese league uh, domestic season. Um, so Son Hyun Min has been named the FEA Sports Player of the Month for September. This is a award for his and Tottenham's electric start to the season, uh, which sees Spurs sit in the the Barkers Premier League, um, top of the tree, and uh, Son has six Premier League goals in just eight Premier League matches. And uh, following on for that, we've got a uh, former Celtic and Yokam F Maros boss, Ange Postacoglu, has now made it two Manager of the Month awards in a row as he takes the Premier League by storm in this exciting and attacking Tottenham Hotspur side. So Darmstadt and Mainz are interested in signing Jumbut Hyundai Motors uh, midfielder Pike Sung-ho. Uh, Pike's current deal expires in December and he's already rejected a renewal offer to stay as a midfielder's eyeing another crack at European football, uh, having previously played for uh, three Spanish sides in FC Barcelona, Girona, CF Peralda, and his old club Darmstadt, who are who could possibly be a destination for Pike in the winter window. And that's all your latest Asian football news. Thank you, Pierce. And thank everyone for listening to this episode of the Football Chigu podcast. This podcast will be available to listen to on the Football Trugger YouTube channel and also the Football Trugger website. Thanks for listening and see you soon. Bye-bye.